0: With your Amex card entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: I'm Saleya Mosen, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started the Big Take DC.
5: Colin Cowherd podcast brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday morning podcast. Uh, I can't wait for the guest today, Sam Smith. He covered the Chicago Bulls for from 79 to 2008, the dynasty years. Michael Jordan didn't always like him, author of several books, including New York Times bestseller, The Jordan Rules. Um, I I always thought Sam didn't have a lot of bullshit or time for it, and I think that's why he'll be a perfect guest to talk about Scotty Pippen's new book, which is getting kind of slammed. It has a boomerang effect that's coming back to hit him. You know, Scotty Pippen and Carmelo Anthony would make my first team all lack of self awareness team. I covered Scotty for a couple of years. Scotty's really talented, a great athlete, but he just never had an understanding of how he was viewed. He was really athletic and really talented and one of the great defenders in the history of the league. Great length, great quickness for his size, offensively a great slasher. But, you know, Scotty, was always viewed as somebody who, when he was briefly given the number one role for the Bulls, after a year, he unraveled. Scotty was never emotionally, mentally a one. He was a two. He was a small-town kid that Chicago's the big city, and Michael was big enough for the room. Scotty wasn't. He was in a perfect role as a two, from the interviews to running the team to a practice guy— To somebody that you could rely on, he was always viewed as a great two. But Scotty always kind of wanted to be paid like a one and treated like a one. Now, many people have insinuated, well, Scotty had a bad contract. He had a right to be mad. Nobody had a worse contract than Michael Jordan. Magic Johnson's first contract was 25 years, $25 million. Guys back then, a lot of stars had bad contracts. They made money, though. They started to make big money, obviously, with Jordan and Magic with their shoes. But Scotty's always had a little bit of an axe to grind. And so when Jordan comes out with his 10-part documentary and it kind of, you know, marginalizes Scotty, I didn't think it did. I thought, you know, Scotty wasn't that interesting. He was just the second best player on a really fascinating team. Rodman was fascinating. Uh the Steve Kerr Michael Jordan relationship where Michael punched him, fascinating. Uh the Michael Jerry Krause relationship, fascinating. The Ku coach Pippen Jordan relationship, fascinating. You know, I mean, Rodman was nuts. Scotty wasn't. Michael was a superstar off the court. Scotty wasn't. Scotty was just really good. And I I think the documentary really is the ignition switch for years of an axe to grind and a feeling that, you know, I'm not viewed as I should be. When in fact, Scotty's viewed, in my opinion, perfectly. Never, ever could give him the number one role. In fact, Paul George, to me, is a more reliable one than, and he's he's viewed as wildly inconsistent. I would build around Paul George before I'd build around Scotty Pippen. Pippen went to Houston. He and Barkley couldn't stand each other. Scotty went to Portland. They didn't dial up plays for Scotty. I mean, Rasheed Wallace would take the big shot. Steve Smith would take the big shot. Arvidas Sabonis would take the big shot. Scotty was never a guy you dialed up the big shot for. I said it the other day on television. That Laker blazer series, a seven-gamer in the Western Conference Finals, Scotty was 3 for 10 in the game and 0 for 3 in the fourth. You don't dial up plays for Scottie Pippen. That was never his role. So he writes a book all about vengeance, vindictiveness, and it's boomerang. Come right back in his face. And that's what it should do. If you do anything in your life out of vindictiveness, don't be surprised if it comes back to bite you in the ass. And that's what Scotty did, and that's the result. All right, here's Sam Smith, Bulls.com, Chicago Trib for Years, The Jordan Rules, a great book. I've read it twice, New York Times bestseller. So it seems like about once a year, Sam, I call you or my guys call you. I say, OK, I got to bring in Sam Smith. We got to talk about this because the Bulls that you covered are more fascinating, certainly, than the Bulls today. And 90% of the league, they were I I always said, I said today, it's like the Rolling Stones. If you did a documentary on him, there'd be the Keith Richards didn't show up to the concert. You know, there would be the Mick Jagger Keith fights. There would be, it's just a fascinating team that you covered. And I covered Scotty for two years in Portland. And I always felt he had a little bit of an ax to grind, but didn't, he would talk to you privately about it. And then Michael does the documentary and he's like, okay, the gloves are off. I'm gonna write a book. Here we go. So I think Sam, my gut feeling is it's an ill-advised book that he would not have written if there wasn't a documentary. Am I right or wrong on that?
6: Uh, yes and no. When you're with him and you get to talk to him, you, you know if you got to you know know him in uh, in Portland, um, you know he's, he's very personable. So you, if, if, you find you get along with him well. And then and then these outrages come along every so often. And you're like, you're like amazed, like, where did that come from? But you know, one thing I want to say about Scotty, because you know, I was around him from when he came into the NBA, uh, his entire career. I'd I, never run across an athlete that or, or you know, actor, whatever, you make these great comparisons, who, who has such a resilient ability to come off the mat from things that nobody would survive. You know, not only eight seconds, which gets discussed. It was a favorite my migrate uh, you know, in the 1990 finals, 19, you know, seventh game of the conference finals, sitting there with a towel over his head. He puts he, the sort of the ultimate of quitting and comes back and there's a star of a championship team the next year. So, yeah, and there's so many outrages where I, I remember one great story, if you have time. We were in Boston sure. on a trip, and Scotty goes off on Jerry Krause. I hate him, uh, just bashing him. And so, you know, this is a newspaper era, you know, before, you know, media, you know, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. So we get to Chicago the next morning, and and there's TV trucks all over because the media didn't travel back then, the TV and radio, and there's trucks all over the place and TV. And Scotty walks in and says to Phil, "What, you know, what, what's all the TV here? What's did something happen?" And Phil goes. Well, no, they not here to see you. He said, well, why? He said, well, what we, you said last night. And Scotty goes, what'd I say? <laughs> you know, like what was the big deal? And it, it's always been like that, that he says, he does these, you know, sort of like, you know, Mark Twain, the, the old, you know, better to keep your mouth closed and let him think you're the fool, than open it and, and, you know, show otherwise. And, and Scotty does and then just keeps going on. So, you know, writing a book, like you said, yeah, maybe it'd be ill-advised and thinking, you know, (laughs) here he comes again, but no, it's Scotty Pippen, you know, he'll do it and then get up off the mat again.
5: You know, you know, first of all, um, you know, that he claimed that, uh, you know, Phil Jackson was racist, didn't let him have the final shot. There's been a lot of pushback on that because Pippen did have a couple of shots at the end of that game, didn't hit him. And then they dialed up the right. shot for Coach and he hit it. So that's boomerang back. That's been bad for Scottie. Um, I, I said this in my preamble before you came on is that when I covered him in Portland, if you go back to game seven, Blazers, Lakers, when he was the highest profile Blazer, He was 0 for 3 in the fourth quarter, 3 for 10 for the game. They didn't dial up plays for him. He was a great athlete. But Rasheed and Steve Smith and Stoudemire and Arvidas were better pure shooters. So Scotty wasn't a dial-up-the-play guy. I mean, Sam, that's how I viewed him. You? How did you view him?
6: Well, he he never was. I don't think he ever hit a closing shot in his entire career. But that was the whole point why it worked so well with Jordan. Because he was the facilitator. You know, for, for years, when the Bulls, you know, Jordan lost nine of the first 10 playoff games he played in. You know, now he would, people would kill him for that. Oh, you know, loser, uh, one and nine in the playoffs. But the problem the Bulls had with him all the time was he wanted to take the ball and bring it up full court. It wasn't until Scotty came along with this point forward, you know, mentality that Michael could go up. They could send Michael up. And now you draw the defense back because the defense was always up waiting for Michael. Now with Scotty, you know Michael could go down, draw the defense, and now Scotty could bring it up and be the facilitator, and that really was the turning point that changed the offense for the Bulls when Scotty could take that role and Michael could trust him to take that role. But he, you know, t- Tony, Tony was very undervalued, but he was a great, great shooter. And in fact, that yeah. season, there's a famous Reggie Miller game where Reggie hits a three with, uh, I think it was three seconds left in the stadium. And literally bows, they, you know, does a bow, all four. It's a classic thing. It turns four different ways in the stadium, bows after hitting this three with, like, wow, two seconds left. And they throw it in the, the coach at the buzzer, and he, he he hits the winner, and the Bulls run off. <laughs> and, and that was that very season. So, you know, Phil knew that this was his finisher. You know, with with Michael not there, Kukoc was the guy. And that... He, he, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we've over this ground probably with this, but, you know, it's a team thing. The idea is, you know, how many times is LeBron at the end of the game? He get criticized for it, but he would always say, I'm about making the right play to win the game. And people would, def- you know, there would be critics of LeBron and say, well, he, he needed to take the last shot, even if he's triple team, because that's what great players do. And LeBron's would say, no, I want to make the right play. And this era of NBA players, you hear it now you know they're not Michael and Kobe kind of guys they're LeBron guys they talk about making yeah. the right play all the time not not finishing because it's kind of been drilled into their head because you know LeBron's poster was on their wall not Michael and Kobe so you know and and, and so that really should be the, you know the ultimate test Scotty was always making the right play so i mean he had the great answer for the argument he just didn't make it
5: <laughs> you know, it is interesting. And I do believe um, the inspiration, if that's the right word, for this book is that documentary. And by the way, the, the inspiration for the documentary is certainly to be argued, LeBron winning that series over, I think it was Golden State. And people saying, oh, LeBron is better than Michael. And Michael's like, time out. Right. Let's go back and revisit my great career. So it, it would make sense that that the documentary Scotty then says, time out. Let's reboot the vision of my career. Let's go back to The Last Dance. I have said that I think it was was Michael Jordan's view, and this is all documentaries. They're not journalism. Whoever the documentarian is, it's their view of an event or or a time period. I think mostly MJ's Last Dance, I remember the moments it did have a Michael lean to it. Were there things in it, the last dance that, Sam, you just take exception to and go, okay, that's a bunch of bullshit. All right, that didn't happen. W- were there, because a lot of it was public. I, we knew about Krause MJ. We knew a lot. But Sam, were there things in the last dance that, forget Pippen, that you took exception to?
6: People have asked me about it. Obviously, you have. Uh, and, and when I say it, I said it's one of those TV movies that you see on and they put up a disclaimer and say, based on a true story. <laughs> so, yeah, the story essentially is true. But a lot of elements were, were added sort of for drama, like with the pizza thing in the Utah hotel. Right. With the, it, actually, he didn't have the flu. What he really had, and nobody's ever said it, you know, I, I knew, we knew what the doctors He had altitude sickness, but it didn't sound cool enough. Now, I don't know why he changed it to make up the pizza, poison pizza thing, you know, cause he got out, he sort of escaped with the flu. Everybody bought that. It sounded good, but they were up in park city and kept traveling back and forth into the Valley, you know, for practice back and forth, back and forth. And and the, the doctors around the team felt what he had was altitude sickness, but it didn't sound like yeah. something Michael Jordan would have. The biggest thing was, it, it, and it's been the history that the, that the bulls broke up the team, that they forced this, And Jordan in the documentary says they should have given us, actually, and I know this, Jordan has since apologized to the Bulls and said, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But what happened, there's a lot of stuff that happened, you know, between the Bulls did offer contracts to everybody. Jordan would come back. And, and of course they, they were getting, they were all free agents and were getting bigger offers, Scotty, particularly with Houston And, and, and the Bulls accommodated that. Scotty's, Top deal was 38 million. They did a sign and trade to get him to 76. Now, of course, Houston regretted that because Scotty had back surgery again after the 98 season. And that's when you saw him in Portland, he was no longer an athlete. That's why he couldn't do, you know, he was a facilitator completely. He couldn't make plays then like he could athletically with the Bulls. But that that what Jordan conveniently left out was during that lockout season in '97, '98. He cut his finger open on a cigar uh, thing and yeah. had to have surgery. So he, he wasn't going to be able to play that season. So this give us a chance to come back thing was like, what are you talking about? You couldn't play. So, <laughs> so there was that. So there were a couple of things like that. Uh, but, you know, it's like, like I say, with a good movie. You know, you sort of a lot of time you're watching a good movie and you say, "Well, that you think to yourself, that couldn't happen." But hey, yeah, you want to let it go along because it's just a good drama. And yeah, basically, we all knew that that story. That was the story. It was a chance for all of us to look back and appreciate it. You know, me included, because when you're going through it, you, you know, you didn't appreciate—not that I was there, but I—you probably didn't appreciate the Gettysburg Address as much as, as when you look back on it. But at the time when he read those, you know. 20 minutes of words, you were thinking, all right, that's good, but I've heard better than that, you know? And then when you, you know, you think about it, say, hey, that's pretty cool. And so <laughs> when it's every day and you're going to the next game and the next game and building the next story and can they, you know, you, you don't appreciate it as much. And so now, you know, 20, 30 years later to stand back and see it like we did. So I wasn't going to quibble about some of, the, some of the things that came up that, you know, well, maybe not exactly, but, you know, for the story, it made a good story.
5: The Colin Coward Podcast, proud to be presented by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel's offering users the chance to play free. No deposit required. Plus, for those folks who want to deposit, FanDuel's offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. It's sweet. Why do you plan FanDuel? FanDuel. Well, the FanDuel Fantasy is an easy, easy-to-use app. You pick a new team every game. You compete for top cash payouts. Compete against your buddies in head-to-head matchups. For new users, FanDuel's offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with their 20% deposit match. Just go to FanDuel.com cowherd. That's it. FanDuel.com cowherd for more info. FanDuel.com cowherd. They know we sent you there. FanDuel, just more ways to win. So you're a sports fan, right? That's why you're listening. But if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling, I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app, free, recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can, one, see the latest picks and articles from the Action Network gambling experts, two, compare odds from different sportsbooks, and three, track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So, if the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. If you love
3: sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
5: I, I only cover the team as a road reporter. I would be in Portland or I would be somewhere and they would come into town and I would cover Jordan. And there was a mystique to the Bulls. Um, I can remember when they came into town, they were always the lead story on the news, not in sports. The, the Bulls right. were in town. There's never been another team in my life where that was the lead story. Um, you know, in Portland, there's always a, a salmon or a fisheries issue or a forestry <laughs> issue. You don't lead with sports ever, right? When 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 you look at those Bulls teams, and this is where I I feel like Scotty doesn't doesn't quite feel appreciated. You go back to that the Magic Johnson teams where after game one they put Scotty on magic and he was a pain in the butt. Uh, do you feel at least A little bit, Sam. That we have because of Michael's uh, glamour. I mean, he was not only the best player; he was the most clutch. He was the most glamorous. That it did shrink, Scotty, and that Scotty was probably a little better than we remember him. Is that fair?
6: No, at all. In fact, the contrary. Scotty Pippen became a top fifty player. That team in that circumstance. was a great contributor to it and he was a big part of it you know uh, he was one of the you know became a star on the on the the dream team you know if he in that draft in 87 there was a lot of maneuvering going on the bulls traded up at number eight and they moved up to five and the deal was you know with seattle that if their player was there that they wanted they weren't i think it was reggie uh, what's his name from uh georgetown reggie williams and I think he got taken just before. So if, if, if Sac and Sacramento had six, they were trying to move up too. So if Scotty had gone to Sacramento, you know, instead of Kenny Smith, as, he, as he, the Bulls had eight, Sacramento was going to take him to six for sure. Do you think he would have been a top fifty player? You know, if you play great no. defense for a team that's winning thirty games, who? What's the difference if you lose by thirty or fifteen? You still lost. Nobody would notice. Right. You, you know. So. Scott, it's this, the problem Scotty had, and, and this played out a lot during the Bulls too, You know, he was very close with Horace when they started. Uh, they were inseparable. It, it, I've never seen teammates like that. They literally would call each other before the games to see what they were going to wear and wear matching outfits. They bought the same cars. They bought the same dogs. They bought the same clothes. It, 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 and so Scotty would hang out with, with the Horace all the time, but then he would be entranced by seeing Michael and all the glamour. And then he would go and try and join Michael's circle. But if you join Michael's circle, you know, you're, you're a acolyte, you know, you're not, you're not the star. And and then Scotty would get upset and he would go back to Horace and say, ah, you know, Michael. So Scotty's had this throughout his life. I don't know if you know about some of his investments. He got involved with some high rollers in Chicago and bought a plane and, and a yacht. And of course went bankrupt with it and lost a lot of money Right. because, you know, and, and who knows what, you know, we try to psychoanalyze in, you know, you, you always do a good job in getting behind people's motives and stuff. You know, uh, uh, ten, ten, 10 siblings, two-room house is grinding poverty. Uh, people are in, he literally, he was on a work study. He didn't get a basketball scholarship. He was the towel guy in the locker room as a freshman in college. How do you get to be a top player from the being the guy giving out the towels not only not not only the players when I mean, you impression, but the players at central arkansas <laughs> so imagine the arc of this guy and so probably some in that but he's always been caught between with us i don't get enough i don't get enough credit i want to be with the big guys too when he gets over there don't like the way he's treated and but actually i think i think scott scotty is because is, i mean besides all the all the outrages Scotty's one of the most celebrated players in the history of the game with top 50. Who gets on Magic Johnson in the finals and changes the course of the series? You know, some of the things he's done are extraordinary. So whatever, he, you know, whatever his notion is that he's not appreciated, I feel badly in that sense because he is. And he keeps, he keeps bringing himself down by, by, in effect, saying he's not and coming up with all these excuses. He is appreciated.
5: Yeah. No, I always felt he was viewed appropriately that uh, I, I never thought he quite had the mentality or self-awareness to be a number one. Um, you know, he wanted the money and and the accolades that come with it. But to be a number one, you have Michael Jordan did the interviews and Michael Jordan got the heat and people wrote books about Michael. And it's hard to be a number one. I mean, you know, a great example is Zach Levine for the Bulls. Tremendous talent, but you're not going to win championships if he leads the team. I I don't think we, you know, Mark Cuban and I had this discussion once over email. He goes, there's a lot fewer ones than all you media guys think. (laughs) You know, There's about six in the league and then everybody else is a one or a two. And, you know, I I think that is largely true that, and I think it's almost, Sam, it's harder now because of the social media. You know, players now have their. Income from playing, income from shoes, and income from social media, and a lot of these guys lose their the the equilibrium on that. They go too far into social media, like Kevin Durant, and they kind cool. of forget who they are. And I, I think, in a weird way, that Jordan and Pippen were very lucky because there was basketball. And you know, you may have your shoe deal. I, I kind of sometimes think it's harder today. I mean, go back to your era. It was a simpler time for players. Be great, get a shoe deal, win, and then Sam Smith will bark at you once in a while. You're not going to have fans crushing you on social media when you when you go back to that those Jordan Bull teams and you look at the league today. Was it simpler? Did, did was it an easier time for players?
6: Well, it was, as a lot of the coaches say, you know, it's less noisy. You know, it's less outside noise. You know, as far as the, no, the one thing. You know, Scotty wasn't a one, and that was the, that was the point. He's like he's like more like Ben Simmons. He, you know, he he he, can, he with his size and his athletic ability, all these other things. But you would never give him the ball at the end of the game and say win a game. That that right. that would that would that would that would hurt him and the team because that's not what he was. <laughs> but you know, there there was scrutiny. But the NBA was a smaller. You know, it wasn't the monolith that it's become. You know, you can't write the Jordan rules today, not because somebody you know, is not good enough, or but you don't have access. There's no access. to. They were just other guys. You know, you probably know from being around some, too. You know, when you when back in the 80s into the 90s, you know, nobody had a plane you traveled. Like after the games, when you went out and out with a player, you know, just because they, they didn't have an entourage. They didn't have buddies traveling with them. And, you, you know, some like, uh, you know, Jordan would often say to me, he said, you know, come up to the room, hang out. You know, I got I got a ping pong table to bring it up. I got no one to play on with, you know, because Horace was hanging around with Scotty and right, he didn't like Bill Cartwright. <laughs> <And so> it, <laughs> it, and, but that wasn't unusual. That just the way it was. You were a little traveling family circus. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the scrutiny was nowhere near it, near it was. But at the same time. People don't know those players like people, like fans did then, you know, because we could spend so much time with them. We got to know them and there's no access to them and and they don't open themselves up other than, you know, social media. And I, I don't know what you could get from 120 characters in really poor English.
5: On the last dance, I had said Michael looked the best of everybody. Krause looked the worst. I thought Phil Jackson came across as very smart, ethereal, um had a was sort of the ringmaster of all of that. It that's what it felt like to me. Michael was the talent and Phil was the orchestra conductor of it. That was my perception. He looked second best. When you were covering it back then, Did it feel like that, that he had as much control, nuance, ability to contextualize situations? Did it feel like that during that dynasty?
6: Yeah, it's good observation because I think that's exactly who Phil was. Uh, You know, he, he was always often criticized, you know, for lack of X's and O's because of the Zen and all that other stuff and the mysticism that they would make up, and the practicing without the ball and the dark and this stuff. Phil was a very good X and O guy. He was really a basketball guy. So Phil, because when when Phil came, michael Michael liked Doug Collins. It was this notion that michael of Collins fired. not true at all. He liked Doug a lot. I mean, Doug gave him the ball and basically said, "Come Michael Jordan, because you know he was this seventeen point scorer in. He wasn't going to be Michael Jordan. You know, Rod Thorne at the day of the draft said, look, you know, he's going to be a good player, but we're not talking about a, around a franchise. So, you know, this wasn't a guy that people were expecting was going to come in the league and, and, and not only win scoring championships every year, you know, but be regarded as one of the elite of all time. So but so Doug comes in and gives him the ball and says, you know, go. Actually, when he was a rookie, I, re- I remember talking to Michael about Kevin Lockery was his coach and Kevin was a scoring player in the NBA score first guy. And and Michael gave a lot of credit to Kevin because he said, Kevin gave me the ball and said, go ahead and score on those guys. And he said, that gave me the confidence to be able to think I could do it. I wasn't sure I could do it. Bill takes over, very surprisingly, the Bulls go to the conference finals in 89. Doug gets fired, different issues. You know, and and. He, Michael didn't even know Phil. Phil was on the staff for two years. He'd never even spoken to him. Uh, and, and Phil tells him what he wants to do. And he, and he, and he comes over to him and he says, this was like their first conversation after Phil came coach. And he, uh, no, this was before, this was before Phil came coach. And he said, you know, in the history, in, in the last 35 years in the game, there's only one player, uh, that's won a scoring title and his team won the championship that season. You know who that is. Michael says, no. He says, it was Kareem. And so Phil says, does that mean anything to you? Michael said, no, and walked away. So then when Phil Phil becomes coach, he he talks about he's going to implement this offense, triangle offense. And uh, so I remember I talked to Michael after camp, you know, we went through the, games, eight exhibitions back then. And so before the first game, I said, well, so what do you think about the new offense? He said, I'll give it two games to see how it works. So it wasn't like he he, he saw Phil uh, that this was going to be the savior. He was very susp- uh, un- unsure and suspicious about Phil. The biggest thing, obviously, you know, which Mike- Michael sort of copped to in the end, was Phil finally got him to accept and trust the other guys, and it and it manifested itself, and you know, in the final game, in ninety one finals, and, and you know, in that timeout where where he says to Michael, "Who's open?" You know, Michael's missing shots, and they're you know, Lakers are catching up. You know, Magic's not playing, Byron Scott's not playing, and he says finally he says Paxson, and Phil says, "Yeah, throw him the ball," because everybody else he said, you know, Michael, you got to be the one to carry us through, and then that was really the beginning of the dynasty.
5: I want to throw a few topics at you on the current NBA. So you mentioned Ben Simmons. Now, you you said you'd trade him without hesitation. So would I. I do think if you have shooters on the wings like Golden State, he's kind of a point forward, a great defender, scores at the rim. I don't think he can play with a dominant scoring big, which is exactly what Embiid is. I don't think it works. Um, your thought on what you're seeing, I said the other day, Sam, I thought Ben Simmons was a cautionary tale that you see rarely, but a cautionary tale of sort of AAU basketball. You're great early. You're designated as a transformational talent. And just on talent, you dominate AAU in college. You get to the pros and you're damn good, but you don't want to work on your game. You're not entirely coachable. You lack some self-awareness. And I don't think you can coach that out of Ben Simmons. Like, I think he's indifferent. I think he's casual. He's, He's sort of too casual for me, too indifferent. I don't think you can coach that. I always say it reminds me of Jay Cutler when he quarterbacked. He was just indifferent. I want my guys to be Philip Rivers and care so damn much they're arguing with guys that weigh hundred pounds more. I, I think Ben Simmons. I think this is what he's going to be. Your thoughts?
6: Yeah, that, that's a, that that hits at our heart here in Chicago with Cutler, but it actually it's actually it's actually a pretty good comparison because. He had this incredible athletic ability. The way he threw the ball was, you know, incredible. What what happens with a lot of guys in sports like Ben Simmons and and you're right, it might you know the AU thing. There's two elements. One is they come in so young that they're not. You know, Michael Jordan was in college three years playing with not only under Dean Smith's system but playing with James Worthy, Sam. He, 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 you know, being in these circumstances where he could grow and mature. So now, you know, we see them as teenagers, but more than that, we see them because we need them to succeed so quickly because now there's, you know, rookie limitations. You only have them for four years, five years, maybe whatever the case might be before you got to give them big money. We want them to be who we need rather than who we are. So we don't give Ben Simmons a chance to be who he is. What I like about Simmons, particularly, he's got a real edge to him. And they may say, that well, it doesn't work hard, but I don't know how hard he works. I don't know how hard anybody works. He's, an, he's a 6'10", uh, uh, you know, point guard, basically, would handle the ball, defend, and he's got an edge to him. You know, you could have the, your guy who works hard, T.J. McConnell or whatever, and throws himself all over the court, but he's, he's only going to be what he is, and he's never going right. to be special. This guy still has a chance to be special, and he's just a kid still.
5: Second issue, Um, when I look at Kyrie Irving, I've said before, we always underrated Eli Manning's ability to be available. We underrate Paul George's ability to be available. I like Anthony Davis. I like Kawhi Leonard, and I like Kyrie. But I can't tell if they're physically or mentally ready to play in half their big games. The other day I was talking to – a guy that's covered the league for a while Chris Mannix and he said something to me and I was kind of shocked he said I think he said I think Kyrie's untradeable who in god's name would buy would would acquire that contract and I thought god you can you can sell any contract you could sell Westbrooks John Walls you could and I and I started thinking yeah Westbrook's flawed but he shows up to play is Kyrie I can't think of another player that was this gifted and is virtually untradeable. Is that reasonable?
6: Well, like you pointed out, John Wall, you know, who was who was not available. And, and you're right. In this NBA, especially, availability may be the number one skill. You really got to give credit, not, and not that we should, because they, we always assume they just wanted to play, and they always talk about, oh, how much right. I love the game. <laughs> you know? So. Forget that. I don't. Nobody's untradeable. We, we found that because we always we always called contracts. You know, Juwan Howard's contract was untradable. Well, he's not athletic, you know, and all and he gets t- traded multiple times after that. Um, Kyrie is such a unique talent. I, I, I mean, I think he has some issues, some personal issues, obviously, um, that, you know, that go to mood and things like that, that affect. His daily ability, that's beyond sports. I, I, I think there are other issues you're dealing with there. Um, but it, because, like you said before, in, in your conversation with Cuban, there's a lot fewer ones than you think. And teams, because of that, will always take a chance. If you put Kyrie Irving on the market, I have no doubt there'd be a half dozen teams would line up right away and say, you know what? I'll, I'll take a chance. I can fix that because you can't find talent. You always think you can fix personality.
5: Zach Levine, you watch him on a nightly basis. I don't. 27 a game, yet has one of the lower winning percentages. I, I, I've said about Zach Levine, talents there doesn't feel like a winning basketball player, just a super talented basketball player. You tell me. You see him more than I do. What's the story with him?
6: Well, because, you know, probably because I see him every game, you know, I'd be biased. But uh, I, I think it's really unfair to judge a player as 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 a failure to win because he hasn't won, which it would sound, you know, the circumstances of Zach. I mean, he, he he came to a Minnesota team that was rebuilding, essentially, was starting over, you know, gets into his third year, wins, you know, done contests and all shows his athleticism. And then gets traded to a team that again is starting over. So basically six of his first seven years, he was playing with teams trying to lose for draft picks. And so yeah, it, I don't know how you can necessarily, I mean, you can, but, you know, because we judge, we, we judge in, in sort of in reverse. We say, well, let's see what happened. And then we'll tell you why it happened. Rather than saying, we think this will happen. We say, well, if they look, if he lost, he must be a loser. And I, I think he's a, I think he's a unique talent. He, Fortunately, this season, and at least with the Bulls, has not been able to play with a Chris Paul. I I think Phoenix is the perfect example. Look at Devin Booker. Zach is way better than Devin Booker. He can do everything Devin Booker can and better. Um, and he's bigger and he's more athletic. Uh, and Devin Booker scored 70 or 80 points, but well, 70 points, whatever he got, and never was in a playoff game. And then what do you know? Chris Paul shows up and a guy who knows how to play pay- this is the game, knows when to get you the ball at the right spot. And you don't have to be carrying the ball over the place, making turnovers and things. You notice at the end of games, when Booker, when they give Booker the ball, there's a turnover, there's a bad isolation, there's a bad shot. When Chris has the ball, then he can score and get in position. That's what Zach needs. If you get, uh, yeah, he's not, you know, he's not Michael Jordan that you're going to give him the ball and he can finish every game without making mistakes. He's not a natural ball handler. He's good enough. You know, he's good enough to, you know, big ball screens or pick and roll and, and play and make plays off the dribble, but not being as your primary guy against the defense. If the Bulls can get someone like that, and it's hard to do, he he can be what Devin Booker has become. Devin Booker was a loser. Now he's in the you know, probably gonna be in the finals or, you know, uh we'll see how the Clipper series goes. But um you know, Zach's, but he is, he is a way better player than he's been uh, given credit for. And one thing it's, it's like with Durant too, it, this is the most amazing recovery to me in the history of sports. He had the worst knee injury possible ACL. I saw that happen with Derek Rose and Derek, as good as he would come back is not the same physical player. He doesn't go in the air. Like he did. Zach goes in the air. Like, it, like, nobody in the NBA after an ACL, it, it, unheard of. Nobody's ever played like this after an ACL uh, with that kind of athleticism on a on a night on a game by game basis. I, I, I think he's just truly a remarkable player about you know about to burst through and, and hopefully gets a chance. You know he made the Olympic team.
5: Sam, that was just great. You know I'm going to call you again. You're good. Sam Next year. About once well, I need your guidance. Here. I need your I need your expertise. <laughs> when Zach becomes when Zach starts to get to the conference finals, I'm going to call you and just let you go because I've always been a doubter of Zach. He he's from Ballard by the way, which is yeah. an hour 15 from my hometown. I watched them in high school. I saw clips of him in high high school. YouTube was around. He was an unbelievable talent. That was never the issue, but I like the fact that you defended him because I think the Booker thing is fascinating. I was watching Booker the other night. He didn't pass a lot. Peter Vesey was ripping him on Twitter saying, has he ever pass?" Which, by the way, for young star players who score, they don't. They don't have to at AAU. They just score. Right, right. But, that, but that's also their job for the team.
6: You know, I mean, we, how many times we criticize LeBron because he did pass. You know, we said, hey, you got to take that shot. Get to the line. Because LeBron, you know, that's the other issue. doesn't want to go to the line, you know, and so- but those are other. Two. But the point is, you know, it's like a lot of players say, be a star in your role, and whatever your role is. Well, if your role is to be a scorer, be a star in that. You know, sc- score. I-, I think Zach is is a yeah. And we I hear it all the time in Chicago from fans. You know, let's trade Zach. He's not a winner. But you, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of players who've been in that situation before. You know, and that and that's the element of getting the team. And like I said, with Phoenix, to me, it's uh, Chris Paul is the perfect example of elevating. You know, these other players. That, none of them that team had made the playoffs. What for ten or eleven years?
5: Eleven you know, years,
6: 11, and now they're going to be in the finals. How does that happen? You know, so <laughs> you know, it, it, it shows. It, you know, it shows with a with a little tweak. Obviously, that was an extraordinary example. But Zach Zach is an is an amazing talent. I mean, he. He is to me one of one. He, he's as good a scorer as there is in the NBA, and if you look at the numbers, he, he he's got the best shooting percentage among shooting guards in the league. So it, so he's an efficient player too. He's shooting forty-two percent on threes. He shoots fifty percent overall, makes you know eighty-eight percent of eighty-five whatever. Even he, he, he's almost 50, 40, 90. So what's the problem? <laughs> you know what's the issue here?
5: Sam, a pleasure. Great seeing you. I love that you still follow it. You're always thought-provoking, and I appreciate you doing this. Good to talk to you, Colin. Thanks for
6: remembering me, and
5: I'll see you in 2022. (laughs) You sure will. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. All right, my Action Network pick of the night. I'm going to take Phoenix minus one to beat the Clippers. I think they wrap up the Western Conference Finals. They play with intensity, don't fall behind early, aren't chasing the Clippers for three and a half hours. I'll take the Suns to win by three or four points. And uh, there we go, my Action Network pick of the week. Thanks for listening. Great podcast. Sam Smith has all sorts of interesting stuff. At The Volume Sports, Twitter and Instagram, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll talk soon.